Well, it's so good to be with you today. My name is Alfred Turley. I'm our Chatsworth campus pastor here at Rawbridge, and it's great to have all six of our locations, Cleveland, Hickson, Ringgold, Chatsworth, Dalton, Calhoun, and online. I just want to thank you all for being here with us, and thank you for joining in as we start a brand new series called Faith for Christmas. But before I get into that, I want to just remind you that this week at all our campuses is our first Wednesday service. And that is one of the most important, we say it's the most important service because we get to come together as a church family to pray, to seek God together. But this specifically, this first Wednesday, we've got a special time where we're just inviting especially all our members to come as we affirm our budget and talk about just what God's done throughout the year. So it's an important time of affirmation and uh, and just vision casting for 2023 for the next year. So I would encourage you to make it a priority. But again, our new series is Faith for Christmas. And just in case you missed it last week, Matt, we're going to put a pause on Ripple Effect, our First Corinthians series, and restart that in February. So we're going to do a Christmas series right now, and then in January we'll have one for the new year and pick back up in First Corinthians sometimes, sometime in February. So we're excited to, to see that for the future. But as we start this new series called Faith for Christmas, Maybe you're asking, okay, what's it about? What, is, what does it mean, faith for Christmas? I think we all think we've got some faith for Christmas, but what does that mean? And the question we need to ask ourselves is this, to receive the gift of Christmas as God has intended it, what kind of faith do we need to have? What should our faith look like? And I mean, some of you may say, well, I've, I've got faith in God. We, we, I know that. We've all got faith. I mean, truthfully, you've got faith right now. You've got faith in the chair you're sitting in that it will hold you up. We operate in faith. We've got, maybe we've got faith in our bank accounts, faith in, and maybe if you're going through a, a, a medical situation, you've got, hopefully you've got some faith in your doctors, faith in medicine. We've got Some of us have faith in, you know, we're putting our faith in the political system or the government or who knows what we're putting our faith in, our bank accounts, whatever it is. We all every day get up and operate in faith in many different things. But as we're in this series, what kind of faith do we need to have to receive the blessing of Christmas? So that's what the whole series is going to be about. And I just want to talk to you, there's one kind of faith that I specifically want to go after. And it's not the kind of faith we want to have. It's actually, it's not necessarily a healthy faith. And it's this, it's conditional faith. You see, conditional faith, and and we all, I think we all operate in a large degree in this kind of faith. That if we're talented enough, gifted enough, hardworking enough, if our bank account's full enough, that everything's going to turn out okay. And some of us even take it that if we're talented enough, gifted enough, diligent enough, God will bless us and help us that we've been responsible enough and what, we've, what we're bringing to the table earns us kind of the grace and the blessing. Now, is that really what God wants? And is that, is that healthy? Because here's the thing, here's a, if we're comparing ourselves, here's the problem we're in right now. So we're in the most connected society 
ever, connected world ever. We can see people from all over the world, and we're flooded with YouTube and, and all these different things. And I just can tell you this, I know what I'm not. I know I'm not a mega billionaire. I know I'm not some sort of star athlete. I know that I'm not a YouTube star or YouTube or a TikTok influencer. I don't, all these crazy things right now that we're flooded with that we get to see every single day. And I don't know about you, but we live under the shadow of these people doing sometimes crazy and extraordinary things and mega wealth and mega success and mega influence. And it's pretty easy to feel like a tiny speck of meaningless dust in the universe. I don't know if you ever feel that way, but I mean, it, it just, to my, just sometimes it just feels like, man, my life just can't measure up to all this stuff out there. Am I, am, I, am I worth anything? But then we see God show up in the Christmas story. And he does some amazing things. You see, God's methods fly in the face of all our conditional expectations. When we look at the Christmas story. Now, I want to I go, what... If we're going to overarch it, if we're just going to paste a total summation of what God is doing with Christmas and the life of Jesus, I want to I just go to just this summation because I think it's important to catch the grandeur of what God is doing. And this is Isaiah 9, 6. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. You see, in this amazing Christmas story, God is bringing his king, his Messiah, his son, his salvation plan that all of creation has been waiting on. But he does it in a crazy and unexpected way. You see, honestly, the entire Christmas story is drenched in this theme that God sees each and every one of us, loves each and every one of us. And no matter who we are, no matter how far in a corner, unseen, God sees, God knows, and God cares. And I mean, you you may ask is. How can I say this? Well, let's look at God's methods. Let's look at what God does just in kind of the the first of the Christmas story. Here it is, God's methods. A poor teenage virgin in Nazareth chosen as mother. mother. That's Mary. A a teenager. No, No wealth. The baby is born in a stable, a dirty manger. We've heard it because there was no room for them in the inn. Literally, the baby's probably in a feeding trough where animal slobber has been there, you know, in straw. That the angelic host appears not to the polished media, not to the rich, not to the priests, not to the wealthy, not to the the government officials to make sure it's known. But instead, the angelic host appears to shepherds in the fields at night, low-class people just out with the sheep in the grass. And then even more, as Jesus' life continues, Jesus grows up as the son of a carpenter, not a priest or an official or a government official, anything like that. And then Jesus, his own, he recruits fishermen and tax collectors and prostitutes as disciples. See, God's methods fly in the face 
of this conditional expectation of what I bring to the table. So as we go into Christmas, what would God have us see? What would he have us understand? We want to go right into the Christmas story. And, and we're going to pick it up. Mary, who the teenager who found out that she's going to have a baby from the archangel who came, Gabriel, and came and visited her and told her, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, well, how is this? Because I'm not married. And he said, the Holy Spirit's going to take care of that. You don't have anything to worry about. And he even says to her, everything's possible with God. Your cousin Elizabeth, who is barren, is also, having, is also pregnant and is going to have a child. And her son ends up being John the Baptist. Now, so Mary has received this incredible life-changing news. And she hurries off to see Elizabeth. So let's pick it up. And this is Luke, the one of the four Gospels. Luke chapter 1. Verses 39 through 56, and we'll be in this passage for the most of it, and we've got a few others to jump to, but that's going to be the heart of what we talk about, is Mary's visit with Elizabeth. So in those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zachariah's house and greeted Elizabeth, Zachariah's Elizabeth's husband. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And we'll pause right there for a moment. Mary is going to bear a son. This teenage girl finds out that she is going to bear a son. Poor teenager living in Nazareth. And she finds this out. But here's what Elizabeth proclaims to her. And Elizabeth, this is a whole supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit filling the moment. And the Holy Spirit reveals to Elizabeth, she believes it. Mary believes it. Mary believes what's been told to her. And I want to I just stop us for a moment. You see, if we were told something like this in our life situation, would we believe it? Now, you, I, don't, I don't know what you say, but I just want to take our conditional faith so often, our conditional faith. You see, when God, actually in the Old Testament, when God appears to Moses in the burning bush and says, I'm going to use you to lead my people out of Egypt, Moses says, I'm not of good speech. I'm not, I'm not the guy. I can't speak well. I'm, you know, kind of, Moses begins to tell God, I can't. Please pick someone else. Then we see the story. There's a story in the Old Testament of Gideon. A famous judge who became a powerful military leader of the, of, of the country. But Gideon, when he was picked, he was like, who am I? I'm a, and, and he was filled with fear and filled with anxiety. And he tested God multiple times trying to just convince himself that God could actually use him. And Saul, one of the kings, when he was chosen, he actually said to the priest, he said, who am I? Who is my tribe? My tribe is the least. My family is the least. I am the least. Saul said, argued again, who am I? You've got the wrong person. And even Zechariah, when he was told that he would have a baby, 
He actually said, how can this be? And the angel reveals that you don't believe me. Zechariah's like, we're old and barren. How can this possibly be? You see, in each of these cases, we so often limit God by our conditions, by our situations. We see our circumstances as bigger than him. But Mary didn't do that. Mary demonstrates humble faith. That's the faith we want to have as we move into the Christmas season. Mary demonstrates humble faith. You see, Mary, as a teenager, as a young girl, she understands something that most of us don't. And it's that to receive and experience what God has for us, his very best, you must approach him with humility. The humble are going to see him. He's going to move to the humble. That's why we need to have humble faith. Now let's see here, how does Mary respond to Elizabeth's greeting? Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. Now, I want to I just point this out. Notice this. Mary never once brings up her qualifications. She doesn't one time say, look, oh, he finally sees what's inside. He finally sees what I got to offer. He finally, I finally got noticed. You know, I went on American Idol and they finally saw me. Mary doesn't, none of that. She actually said, God, God sees that I have very little to offer, that I am lowly, that I am humble, that I am available. Now that she does have that she's bringing. But everything is about not on her, but it's on his greatness. See, humble faith sees God's blessings Come from his love and his mercy, which is what she said in there. His love and his mercy, not from anything we've earned. Not from anything we've earned. She points to his favor and his mercy. And then it's it's even further, humble faith recognizes that the privilege that we get in times like the privilege we have in life, the privilege God is calling us to, is to partnership and relationship with Almighty God, the most beautiful, amazing, wonderful, all-powerful being ever wants to have a personal relationship with you and me. Is that not mind-blowing? But Mary understands it. And she understands, you know what? I get to be a part of his plan. Little old me, I get to be a part. I get to see what he's going to do. I get to be a canvas that he gets to paint a masterpiece on. And I get to witness it. I get to see him move. And that's incredible. 
And that's a joy so many of us, I hope you get to experience, many of us, if you give your life to God, the most beautiful part is what you get to experience Him do. It's not that I do anything or I add anything to it, although we, we partner with Him. It's His power, it's His mercy, it's His nature that comes in. And it's the adventure of a lifetime if we will go along with Him. But listen to this, He he has done great things for me. Mary's already I'm celebrating what he's done. I'm receiving the gift, and I'm pumped. But listen, let's take this even further, because here's the beauty of this truth. Humble faith means I can be ordinary because he is extraordinary. Now, a few weeks ago, I, God just God revealed to me in my own prayer time, and he actually helped me put some words. He gave me these words for me. It is like, Alfred, and, it, and just in my own way of just seeking him and trying to hear him and understand him, it's like he said, Alfred, you're limiting my ability to use you and work in you and work in your situations by what you have to offer and your gifts and talents. You see, again, we all live under the shadow of these other things. We live under, there's always somebody better. There's always, if I'm a pastor, there's always a better pastor. If I'm a singer, there's always a better singer. If I'm a performer, there's always somebody better. If, there, if I'm wealthy and powerful, there's somebody with more. There always is. And so we're going to live under those shadows, and we're going to constantly feel like maybe we don't live up to what we should. And if we do that, we limit him. But here's the thing. Humble faith says, you know what? It's not about me. It's about you, God. And that's so just, Lord, I'm going to be ordinary. I'll just be, you know what? Not only may I not be ordinary, I may be the lowest one. I may be the lowest grade in the class. I may, I may be the worst one of all. But you know what, Lord? That doesn't limit you from using me. Because nothing limits you. You can do anything. I can be ordinary because it doesn't limit him. The conditions go off. It's his grace and mercy. My weakness and lack of talent does not limit him. I think that's great news. I think it is. But let's continue. Okay, so Mary picks it up. Here she goes again. He has done a mighty deed with his arm, and he has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. Now here's, here's something we're seeing here. We're, or yeah, seeing, sent the rich away empty. Here's, here's what we're seeing, and we've got to understand this. We're seeing, see, some people kind of believe Sometimes there's a sense that we can believe that God just kind of winds this thing up, this whole creation, winds it up, cranks it up, and sends it off, and stands at a distance and says, hey, folks, let's see what happens. But you know what? Scripture is actually very, very clear that God is massively active in every life, every day, all the time. That he is very active in this world. And here's what we're seeing. We're seeing her say... See, Mary's saying, he has rejected the proud and rejected the arrogant and rejected the rich and rejected those in favor of the lowly. And he's come and he's satisfied the weak and the needy with good things. Now, I want to say that she's 
coming after not the condition of being wealthy because you can be humble and wealthy and blessed and you can steward it and live well. And honestly, all of us who live in the United States, we're far wealthier than so many cultures. She's not attacking being rich. She's coming against the heart condition of pride and arrogance and, and being rich and, and thinking you're better than others and more equipped than others and it's all about you and you're, you're living for yourself. The condition of I want to make a name for myself. She's coming against that. She's talking against that. And that is what we see God actively, actively working against the proud and the arrogant. And actively exalting the humble and the needy and the broken. And satisfying them. And I want to, I want to go to James chapter 4. Because I want to tie in. There's a very important principle in this situation of what happens with when we're walking in pride versus walking in humility. So let's go to James chapter 4, and let's just look at this. James 4, 4 through 6. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the Scripture says that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that He made to dwell in us envies intensely. It's an interesting verse. But He gives greater grace. Therefore, He says, and this is, I want you to grasp it. This is important. God resists the proud, but gives His grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but gives His grace to the humble. Now, here's what's going on here. He's, James is saying this. If we're pursuing anything but having God at the center, we're pursuing the world. We're pursuing what the world wants. We're pursuing our own happiness. We're pursuing what the world tells us is best. If we're going after that, and if we're going after anything but God at the center, then I'm at the center. I have to be. Pride and arrogance puts, always puts me at the center. If God's not in the center, I'm putting my happiness at the center. Even if I'm pursuing someone else, I'm doing it because I want it to make me happy. When we don't have God in the center, pride always puts me at the center. And this is what God does. You've got to understand this. God's loving and jealous response is to oppose our efforts to pursue anything but him. Loving and jealous response is to do that, is to go after, resist, fight against us in our pursuit of anything but Him. We've got to understand that He will begin correction to tear down my idols. He will do what He has to do to, to, to try to wake us up. When we're going after our way, you've got to understand, God immediately said, I'm going to start trying to frustrate the situation, frustrate what they're doing, because they, can't, they don't have me at the center. And I created them to need me. I created them for a relationship. It's less than God's best, and it will destroy us. It leads to death. The wages of sin is death. It's sin. It's rebellion. So God immediately begins opposing it. But then there's the flip on that verse. But he gives his grace to the humble. So hum humility opens the door to God's grace and power. Now there's a famous story actually in the Old Testament that kind of ties into this. And it's in Genesis, there's a story of the Tower of Babel. 
And the Tower of Babel, the people came together and they weren't really following God. And they actually said, let's gather together and let's build a tower to heaven to make a name for ourselves." And God actually, it says God comes down and looks at it and, said, and, and he actively resists what they're doing. That's where, according, according to Genesis, the birth of the languages comes from as God begins to frustrate, he, get, he changes their languages, and they are dispersed, which is actually what God commanded them to do in the first place, which was to go and fill the earth and subdue it. But they were resisting what he wanted and coming together in what they wanted to do to build a name for themselves, and God resisted it. And we see that today. When we start putting ourselves at the center, God's going to start resisting it. He will actively try to make, he will actively work to make us miserable to wake us up in his deep love for us. Now I want to go to John 15, 5, because we talk about, again, God giving grace and favor to the humble. Listen to this passage, Jesus, or listen to what Jesus tells his disciples on the night of his betrayal. John 15, 5, Jesus says to his disciples, I am the vine. And it's a whole beautiful passage. I encourage you to read it. It's beautiful. But in one specific passage, he says this. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. God wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to see amazing things happen. He wants your life to be full of all sorts of amazing things happening. But he wants it to be through him. Connected to him, remaining in him, because he says, you can do nothing without me. And again, as we go back to that truth that God is actively involved, God throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament is constantly showing the reason you're alive today is not because I wound it up and let it go and you just happen to be a product of that. The reason you're alive today is because God actively chooses and decides to let us all live another day. And that's what he told Moses. That's what he was telling the Israelites through giving them manna every day to teach them that we live every day by the word and the declaration and the will of God. He's active. We can do nothing. Without him, he's trying to show us that. He's trying to show us that. We were made to need him. You see, humble faith embraces this, embraces who I am, faults and all, because God's grace is the real source of power in our lives. That's what we were made to need. That's what we're really here to connect to. His grace, his power, and he gives it to the humble. I want to I just give you a quick illustration of this. So, so I, got, I, I got my phone. And you know, I think we all can recognize that smartphones have changed our lives. But you know, what we can start to, one of these interesting, have you ever been camping or been somewhere where you lose all signal. You lose all, you, you don't have a cell phone tower. You don't have anything. You don't have a signal anywhere. You don't have Wi-Fi. You have nothing. And you know what this thing becomes? It becomes a flashlight with a calendar, and I can type an, a reminder in it. It becomes an expensive brick. You see, the power of these things is not the phone. The power it's of is its connection 
to trillions of dollars of infrastructure, of mapping software that maps our globe, of of communication software, of all these social media companies, which we could do without, but the, the phone network, that there's cell billions and probably trillions of dollars of cell phone towers everywhere. There's satellite systems at GPS. There's all these satellites in, the, in space. See, the power of this, again, its power is its connection to all this other stuff. And that's to illustrate for us, without connection to him, we're just kind of a, a, a brick, you know? So that's what his grace is the real source of our power. And humility recognizes that and realizes, you know what? Android or iPhone, who cares? Whatever you bring to the table, faults and all. He's the one that accomplishes it and that matters he is the treasure, and what I accomplish, it is not. So we have to make, I, I want to go to this question right here. This is an important question for us. As we consider this humble faith, and as we consider where we are, I've learned I have to make an intentional decision. Okay, this is, and this is a question I want you to ask yourself. It's, it's a very important question. Do we want our life to be about what we can accomplish or what he can accomplish. Now, I can honestly tell you, if you think about that right now, you can, I guarantee you, you can think, how often do you actually think, God, I want, I'm trying, I'm literally thinking about how you can use me more and how I can position myself for you to use me more. I mean, that's one completely different train of thought versus I'm going to go get, you know, if I'm, if I'm young, I'm going to go get this degree and go this and do this and do this and do this and do this and put 401k and whatever. Who knows? And have kids and get married, all that. Those are things that we're, we're hoping, but it's actually our plans mostly. Now, I'm not saying those don't, God doesn't use those because he does massively. But the question is, are all those submitted saying, God, I want to see what you can accomplish. And I want to offer my life to you because I'm ordinary, and you're extraordinary. And I want to see what you can do. Are we, is this crossing our mind? And I'm, I'm, I'm older. I'm, I'm asking this question realizing I don't think every day. I don't think every day I live like this, but I want to. I want to. We have to make an intentional decision. An intentional decision. Now, here's the thing: He's not against personal achievement. He's not against us making our own plans. But if they become our idol, He absolutely is. If they become bigger and more important than Him, absolutely they are. But here's the thing: If they're our plans, doing our way, and depend on our abilities, we're going to limit Him, and we're going to limit His ability to use us. And if they're not surrendered to him, we're going to limit his ability to use us. We're cutting him off from what he wants to do or might want to do in our lives if we were completely surrendered and yielded. Now I want to go back. Mary's going to, we're going to get one more passage from Mary as she concludes her song, her, her rejoicing to Elizabeth. We'll go to verse 54. So Mary finishes this. She says, he helped his servant Israel remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. 
Mary recognizes that the incredible, eternal faithfulness of God to her ancestors and her nation is who he is. She is in awe of him. And if the same God who's been faithful and has done this and is doing this now, he is going to be faithful and she can trust in him. And she rejoices in surrendering her, surrendering her life to him. Mary embraces this. She has humble faith. Humble faith rejoices in the greatness of God and wants him to be the hero in the story and is excited about him getting the glory. Mary embraces her ordinary so that he can be extraordinary. That's humble faith. You know, throughout these next few weeks, We've got the privilege of showing you some stories of lives transformed. But I've got a story of Juan who I believe has discovered humble faith. And we want to show you his story. Let's look at that right now. My name is Juan Pineda and I attend the Dalton campus. The first time um, I attended Rockbridge was because my wife had been attending for almost a year. And... Um, so I came with her, and uh, uh, what made a big impact in my life is when um, I was arrested, and Pablo took the time to talk to me while I was there. When we spoke, and, and, and I was in a, in a tight place, in a, in a hard, very hard moment, um, he told me that anything we needed, you know, we could count on the church. You know, that's what the church was here for. And that really made a positive impact in my life. And I, I felt loved at the moment. And then we became friends. Uh, Pablo has been helping me spiritually. Since then, he's been guiding me uh, through the Word of God and things that I didn't understand that I now understand better. Everything hasn't been perfect. Um, I would lie if I said that. But everything has been a continuous progress towards uh, towards becoming more like Jesus every day. And I'm glad that um, now we can both see that uh, we need Jesus, we need God every day. And, and so yeah, that was uh, the, the positive impact that uh, Rob Bridge um, had in my life was through the life of Pablo and, and even bigger uh, impact in my life now that I've gotten um, involved in, in a lot of other things here in church and, and I've been taken into consideration and that's been a blessing for my life because it, it has kept me engaged, it has kept me um, motivated and here we are uh, right now um, the camera crew is going, we continue to disciple uh, new people, we bring new people, to, we invite them to serve just the same way I started it, people that just came in the door um, they started serving, uh, I mean, they started coming to church and then they want to serve, given the opportunity to serve because that's what it's all about. I do believe that if we as Rock Bridges um, commit ourselves to serving Jesus and to be more like Jesus, then um, the name of Jesus will be glorified through Rock Bridge or through people that, that know the identity of Rock Bridge. Uh, Rock Bridge serves Jesus uh, and, and not just in Dalton, but all over the surrounding areas called Hoon, Hicks, and Cleveland. You know, that's that's what excites me to see more people being rescued, more people, more drug addicts in churches. I want to see 
uh, sex addicts in, in church. I want to see alcoholics in church. I want to see people that was lost and not, not just people that had um, addictions, but people that didn't think had any problems realize how much they need Jesus because uh, that, that, that could be the, the worst lie the devil can tell us. It, and it is that we don't need God because we don't have any problems. And the truth is that because we all sin and we are separated from God. Um, so there's no, there's a such thing as I don't need God. We all need God. Uh, all walks of life, all lifestyles, we all need God. We all need God. And the only way we can go to God is through Jesus. Faith for Christmas. You see, one was humbled. <laughs> he recognized his need for God. He recognized that what he had, what he was bringing, wasn't enough anymore. The church surrounded him. The church came in with the truth and the grace of God that can be received when we humble ourselves and let God in. And he sees that we all need God. And that God is available through what Jesus did, starting at Christmas, ending at the cross. That each and every one of us is loved by him. And his grace is available. You see, humble faith recognizes our true condition. Love but needy. Treasured but weak. Created with gifts and talents. But powerless without him. We are made for a relationship. We are made for him. And that's the faith we need to have to receive Christmas. Would you bow your heads with me now? Father, we just come to you and I just thank you that you are the God of the broken and the needy and the weak and the ordinary God. You are extraordinary. Lord God, help us look past everything that would resist your work in our lives. Help us come to you just as we are, no matter what our issues, our problems, addiction, Anxiety, struggles, broken, needy, poor, lost, alone, hopeless. You see, and you've got grace more than enough. Lord, we thank you. Help us humble ourselves. And receive your abundant grace. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.